Hello and welcome to our latest GCP short in collaboration with Marsh Captive Solutions and all about directors and officers insurance and the increasing role for captives in this area. Corporates all around the world have been experiencing DNO rates surge over the past two years and it appears to be little indication that the market is going to soften for them anytime soon. As you'll hear from Beth Thurston, Head of Marsh UK Management Liability Practice, and Lorraine Stack, International Advisory and Sales Leader at Marsh Captive Solutions, DNO has historically not been a common line to write for a captive, but that is starting to change. More corporates are beginning to insure side B and C through existing captives, while alternative solutions, including the use of third-party cell captives, are being used for side A capacity. So Beth, I thought it would be particularly useful for us to start off with you giving us a very brief explanation of the differences between sides A, B and C when we talk about directors and officers coverage because they are going to be particularly important, those differences, when we talk about this capture discussion. Yes, of course I can. Thank you, Richard. Um, And of course, there's a lot of jargon that we tend to use in directors and officers liability insurance. Um, But but as you mentioned, then then there is often a reference to sides A, B and C. Um, In fact, there are two forms of indemnification that directors and officers need to be aware of. The first is corporate indemnification, and the second is insurance indemnification. And the reason I reference both is because they're relevant when we um, uh, when we look at the understanding as to as what is meant by sides A, B, and C. So side A, from a DNO perspective, is insurance that responds in the event that there is no corporate indemnification for an individual facing a claim or investigation. So in that situation, the individual has no means of recourse for funding that defence from the corporate entity for which they work. And so they have to fund uh, that defence from their own personal assets unless there is insurance available. So insurers will fund that defence under side A of the policy in the event there is no corporate indemnification. Side B is the alternative situation whereby corporate indemnification is available and is provided. So in the event the corporate entity is funding the defence of an individual, then that corporate entity can then seek reimbursement of those costs from the insurers under side B of the policy. Side C responds to a different situation and is purely in relation to securities claims against the entity itself. So insurers will pay the cost of a securities claim against the corporate entity. And so I suppose in a nutshell, if you think side A provides personal asset protection for individuals, side B and side C provide corporate balance sheet protection for the entity, under side B for corporate reimbursement, and under side C for the corporation's own costs of a claim. Yeah, thanks, Beth. Really, really nice, concise, clear explanation of those of those three differences. Lorraine, historically, let's take a look at captives. Historically, what involvement have we seen from captives uh, in writing DNO coverage for their parents? 
So, Richard, historically, it's been relatively a small amount, you know, and, and there's a reason for that, because historically, with low premiums and relatively, you know, lots of capacity available in the in the insurance market, there wasn't a huge incentive to retain risk, but that's that's changed. Now, um, up until last year, out of the 1,400 or so captives that we manage, 48 captives were writing some element of DNO, and that was primarily besides uh, B and C. So uh, total premium written uh, by those 48 captives was 56 million, with various limits and various places in the tower, as Beth would say. But uh, our landscape report last year showed uh, an, an increase of 25% in premium between 2018 and 2019 for DNO. And that was really only at the beginning of the difficulties in the DNO marketplace. So we certainly expect to see a lot of growth in this area. Lorraine touches there on um, historically what kind of interest there has been or activity there has been in, in captives writing DNO coverage. Beth, how much interest are you hearing now from clients in considering the captive approach to, to writing DNO and, and what's prompting that? Is it purely purely the hard market and, and the pricing increases that we're, we're hearing so much about? It's an interesting situation, Richard. And really, we started having um, a much greater number of conversations with clients in relation to the use of captives, probably starting 18 months or so ago. I think it was prompted by uh, the volatility that we have seen in the DNO market, particularly in London. And if I give you an example, so if we look at our FTSE 100 portfolio, um, in 2019, clients on average within that portfolio range saw a 74% increase in their premium cost. Um, and in 2020, that has increased to now a 266% on average increase in their premium cost. And in conjunction with that, they have also seen a very significant reduction in capacity available in the London market. So if I look at that same portfolio of clients, and um, so that FTSE 100 portfolio in 2020, on average, those clients, 66% of those clients have renewed their programs with a reduced overall limit. And on average, that reduction in limit has been at 33% reduction on the limit that they were able to achieve in 2019. So that volatility and those challenges around capacity have driven conversations in relation to not necessarily specifically focused on captive utilization but but around how do how do you mitigate the impact of the market conditions and part of that conversation absolutely involves consideration of use of captives so back in 2019 we started to see an increase in that type of conversation and really we are now at the stage where pretty much every conversation involves consideration of mitigation of the market conditions because clients frankly need to be prepared and need to understand the challenges in the marketplace and really the consideration of the captive is part of an insured consideration of what is their priority in relation to the renewal of their dno program and i think at a very high level we would say that there are four key factors that they need to take into account. So is their priority the cost of their DNO renewal? Is their priority the limit of DNO insurance that they're able to achieve? 
Is their priority the structure of the programme that they are looking to put in place? So looking back to the conversation that we've had around the coverages on side A, B and C, but also the fourth element that insureds need to consider is the breadth of coverage. So the quality of the insurance that they're able to achieve at renewal. And all of those four factors, to some extent, may require consideration of the use of a captive. So, for example, the cost of a renewal for an insured may be prohibitive. And it may be that in the event that there is the ability to utilise a single parent captive, then part of that programme may be transferred to uh, the captive, which may have an impact in relation to cost mitigation for various reasons. In addition, in the event that the client's priority um, is achieving a particular limit for DNO insurance, then it simply may be the case that that limit is not available uh, in the open marketplace. And in consideration with with the particular insured, there needs to be a consideration as to whether or not a higher limit may be achievable if part of the programme is taken out of the mar- out of the market and put into a single parent captive. So by that I mean there may be more side A limit available in the open market in the event that an insured wishes to move to a side A only open market placement. And in that situation, they could place their B and C coverages within a single parent captive. Similarly, if a client's or an insured's particular concern is around the structure of the programme, so if they have a requirement for a particular uh, limit of B and C coverages, for example, and again, that limit may not be achievable in the open marketplace, then consideration of captive utilisation, again, Uh, needs to be brought to the fore. And then finally, of those four factors, um, the coverage element that may be critical for an insured. Again, by that I mean the breadth of coverage that a particular insured is looking to achieve. So we are seeing an increasing use by insurers of exclusionary language. And in the event that there is a specific requirement for breadth of coverage, again, Consideration needs to be given as to whether or not utilising the open market for side A only coverage means that broader coverage may be available with B and C potentially then again in that situation being placed in a single parent captive. So all of those factors are prompting the consideration of the use of captives to an extent that we frankly have never seen before in the DNO marketplace. Um, I think that in a nutshell, clients are looking to maximise the coverage that's available for their D's and O's. They're looking to reduce the volatility that continues to be applicable to D&O renewals in the open marketplace. They're looking where they can to mitigate that pricing impact of the volatility. And I think overall, they are generally looking to ensure the broadest possible protection that they're able to achieve for their senior executives. And that is increasingly needing the consideration of the use of captives. 
if a captive is considering writing DNO for the first time, then Lorraine, what are some of the, the common challenges or, or best practices that they need to have in mind? So Richard, focusing on B and C, um, there's nothing unique or mystical. You know, it's the same considerations for any line of, of insurance. So from a governance perspective, the board needs to be comfortable with the exposure. Uh, it's liability. It's a liability line of insurance, which may be new to the captive. Uh, but of course, it's claims made coverage, which has its own technicalities that, uh, you know, the board and the captive manager will need to be conscious of. I suppose ne- many of our board members, uh, our captive board members from our client organizations are, are quite senior within their own organizations. So ironically, they could be even more familiar with DNO than, than maybe the captive manager uh, themselves. But another issue would be uh, capital. So what is the capital required to write uh, the coverage? Is there any additional capital required? And if so, how how would you go about uh, obtaining the additional capital? And then there's likely to be a regulatory process. Um, and that could be relatively, you know, depending on where the captive is located and what the licensing status of the captive is, that could potentially be, you know, an intensive process. Yeah, that's really interesting, the regulatory and and collateral challenges or or factors you mentioned there, Lorraine, because we're going to come on to that. And it kind of feeds into my next question, which is if a corporate does already have a captive in place, is it relatively straightforward to start start writing BNC coverage? And we'll come on to A separately in a moment, but how quickly can the captive be mobilised to respond if if renewal discussions have hit a brick wall? The process could be quite straightforward, depend, but it really depends on the location of the captive and the licensing status. Our mantra for the last 12 months, and it's the same with all where, you know, where, where there's such, such an increase in captive activity right now. Uh, we, we've talked about it over the last few months in our captive landscape report. And all, you know, right from the beginning, we've been saying, please, please get in touch with your captive manager as early as possible to ensure that the captive is organized and licensed and ready to accept any new line of business and DNO would be exactly, we say exactly the same thing. There's likely to be a regulatory process involved of some kind in in most domiciles. And that would be either potentially a, a, a license extension application, which could be quite you know, significant involving submission of policy wording, solvency calcs and claims handling um, details, et cetera, or, or even just a notification. But, but whatever you know, the regulatory process, it could take some time. And consider that regulators right now, with all of the activity going on in both the commercial and the captive world, you know, there's, they're, they're, they're dealing with quite a lot. So it's important to give enough lead time. And then, of course, there's the board approval process as well so you know there'll need to be a, a, an approval process and you'll need to maybe even tee up boards to the fact that this might be coming down the line so as i said it's really important to engage as early as possible with captive managers to understand you know what the process is and how much time it's all going to take to ensure that the captive is ready and that it can be a considered process rather than a fryer drill uh, richard Thanks, Lorraine. Well, Beth, how do reinsurance and reinsurers and reinsurance partners view the involvement of a captive then? Is it likely that if the captive is taking a layer or a certain amount of risk that the insurers will look upon that favourably, apart from creating more headroom? Is it likely to, to give them more uh, confidence and, and comfort with the risks that, they, that they're being asked to take on? 
Um, I think, Richard, from the point of view of structuring a programme at renewal, the involvement of the use of a captive for some or all of the B and C coverages is seen as positive by insurers. I think for a couple of reasons. Firstly, we tend still to find although it, it isn't uh, to the extent that, that it was a number of years ago, but we do tend to still find that there is greater capacity available for side A only coverage. So in the event that insurers are considering writing a risk and are being asked to provide side A only because the B and C element of that exposure has been placed within a captive, then you are generally likely to receive a more positive response from those insurers. Um, in addition, where we are utilising a captive, for perhaps for part of a programme. So if I give an example, there's been or is increasing concern in relation to insurer's exposure for the earlier stages of a claim. And so we refer to that as the burn layer. So um, the elements of, of coverage within a programme that are likely to be exposed to particularly to defence costs in the early stages of a claim. And so there is very limited capacity in many situations for insurance, particularly for A, B and C coverages, below, certainly below 50 million, but actually sometimes up to 100 million. And so we are increasingly looking at and utilising single parent captives for the B and C coverages in that bottom portion of a programme. So we have side A only in the open market from the ground up and up to, say, 50 million, um, with the B and C exposures being placed within a single parent captive to that attachment point. And then above 50 million, um, if that's considered to be the burn layer, then we may find that additional capacity within the open market opens up with insurers being um, having greater comfort at attaching at that level and providing A, B and C coverages once they're above that burn layer. I think that's really interesting, Beth, what you say about how if, if the captive is going to take on a significant amount of the side B and C exposure, but then that could actually aid in their uh, kind of renewals and negotiations regarding capacity and pricing on the side A side. But let's let's get a bit more stuck into side A directly because we have heard this year uh, quite a bit of discussion around alternative solutions that clients are looking for on, on achieving the kind of side A coverage that they, that they want and need. Now, utilising third-party cell captives has been a tool we've heard mooted quite a bit this year, Lorraine. Could you just could perhaps give us a rundown on what we mean when we talk about using a cell captive to, to cover side A? Sure. So a single parent captive, of course, is a subsidiary of the group. And so there's that conflict that exists for side A, which can't be indemnified by the group. So a PCC, of course, is a standalone entity where ownership, management and control is independent of the company looking for you know, to cover their D&Os. So once established for our directors and officers, a cell can be a nice solution because it can be created to be quite independent of the group. And by that, I mean, coverage can be set independent of the company and decisions on policy response can be set up to be independent of the company as well. So we have five cells that are currently writing side A DNO. Now, it's important to point out, Richard, that this is a developing concept. It hasn't been tested in a court of law, which is an important point. 
Um, and what we would recommend when a company might be considering a PCC for their side A coverage is that they would uh, consult with legal and tax advisors as well as their accounting teams, uh, just to ensure that the setup will actually work for their organization. But we have a number of uh, companies, Beth and I have been, <laughs> Beth and I are almost, we, we, we should go on the road, I think sometimes <laughs> with this, we've been talking to so, so many companies and there are a number that are quite far down the road in their consideration of using um, cells as well. As Lorraine mentioned, we currently have five clients utilising a protected cell captive. The initial conversations that we had around the use of this developing concept really focused on insureds that were facing a particularly challenging situation whereby there was no insurance available in the open market because of their individual risk profile. However, with the ongoing volatility and challenges that all insureds are seeing to a greater or lesser extent with the current state of the DNO marketplace, we are now, as Lorraine mentioned, increasingly talking to insureds in relation to potential solutions to assist them in mitigating the impact of that volatility. And whilst the use of a PCC has not been tested by a court of law. We are increasingly seeing insureds take external legal advice and consider the use of a PCC for all or part of their side A exposure, even if there is side A insurance available in the open marketplace. Five active cells you said you've already got in place. That's completely news to me. So it's really exciting to hear this is is, is being utilised. And of course, more discussions in the pipeline for, for other cells to be formed for, for side A as well. Um, just for clarification, Lorraine, is, I know that Marsh do own cell company facilities in, in numerous jurisdictions, uh, in, in numerous regions off and onshore around the world. Can, can this structure be put in place in, in kind of any of those, in any of those jurisdictions? Yes, absolutely, Richard. Um, circumstantially, the five cells that we have in existence are in are in Bermuda, but we're we're working with a number of companies who are considering different alternatives, depending on really proximity. Potentially, they may already have uh, captives in in particular locations as well. So we have seven different uh, mangrove facilities around the world, and really, you know, the 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 mechanics of this transaction are pretty much the same in any domicile. The idea that of the fully funding is, is the same in any domicile. So the mechanics are pretty much the same. So any domicile can do this where, there's a, where we have a PCC facility and it'll just depend on client circumstances as to where it actually ends up. I presume one of the largest challenges there is going to be the, the collateral side of this because this is quite, you know, can be quite significant size coverage and of course it needs to be collateralised. So Lorraine, what are the challenges related to collateral and, and are there some, some workarounds? Yeah, so, so you're right, Richard, of course, the aggregate limit written by the cell should be fully funded. And that could be, and that is with a combination of premium and collateral. And collateral can be uh, an LOC or potentially surety. I guess directors and officers have historically had the comfort of an independent insurer covering this risk. So as a, an alternative solution should be equally as robust and uh, non-reliant on the group. Um, so it needs to be independent and self-sufficient. Now, the transactional cost, so there's costs involved in the transaction, 
um, involving a PCC, and they would need to be weighed up really in you know comparing various different alternatives. But for those companies that Beth has described and that we've been speaking to, you know, what we're hearing is that, you know, on the face of it, it's a very neat solution potentially where there is uh, where there are difficulties. Well, thank you to Beth Thurston and Lorraine Stack from Marsh for a very timely and informative discussion on DNO and the options available to captive owners. If you want to find out more about our speakers and Marsh Captive Solutions, then please do visit globalcaptivepodcast.com. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives. (laughs) 